Okay, so hello and welcome everybody to the second podcast we are doing, uh, responding to questions on the King series. My name is Nick and I'm with a bunch of lovely people in the room who I will share uh, who I'm with in a minute. Just to start with what we are doing today, um, as a church we've been looking through and studying the book of Kings and the reason that we are studying Kings at this time is because we really want to have an extended time looking at the scripture in a rawer way. Uh, we know that the demographic of the church has changed considerably over the last few years. Uh, there are many people who are coming and joining us on a Sunday morning who haven't necessarily grown up reading the Bible, don't necessarily know much about the Bible, and therefore the Bible can be quite intimidating. And we're hoping that Kings can be a topic and a theme and, and something that we're kind of focusing on that we can all look together without necessarily needing prior knowledge, uh, prior knowledge? without necessarily needing prior knowledge on Norwich or Kings. Um, but also 20 years ago, this series was very rich. Uh, the church looked through the book of Kings, one and two Kings, and we found that what God was highlighting on a Sunday was often directly applicable to what we were facing a few days later. And we're really hopeful and expectant that God will be and is already speaking to us in a similarly relevant manner at this time. Now, the people that I've got in the room with me today have been part of a, of a team who have kind of been studying and looking together at Kings and helping get notes together uh, for the teaching. Not everyone who has helped with that is in the room today, but today I've got John, Jamie, Fatime, Jeremy, and Dan Jones with me, which is really, really great, who are all part of the kind of the bigger team who have been looking at Kings together. So with that said, we've had a few questions coming through. We'll look at a little bit of chapter two, 1 Kings chapter two tonight, and then mainly focus on chapter three. So I'm just gonna get stuck in with the first question and we'll take it from there. So a bit of a long one, but bear with me. So in 1 Kings chapter two, verse 46, it says, the kingdom was established in Solomon's hand. Contrast and compare how Solomon secures his kingdom to how Jesus establishes his. Consider who are the enemies and rebels that Jesus defeats. Are we now in that stage of Satan having been ousted like Adonijah after failing to make himself king, but not yet done away with for good? And is there something about the unfolding spiritual contest and coming reign of God in all the earth that this physical context for power teaches us. So nice, light and easy one to get started. <laughs> Would anyone like to kick off proceedings, share any thoughts on any part of that question? Fatima? I think if you see it, um, both um, uh, Solomon and Jesus, the established kingdom, however, they use different approaches. If we see uh, King Solomon, he used the approach of, um, I mean, he was, he, he got, he, I mean, he followed that, he was inherited, he inherited the kingdom from his father. Um, another point he used, he used political alliances and he established his kingdom through um, projects, uh, armies, and so on. He also went that far, uh, in order to secure his position, he even killed. So we see here how he killed his own brother. 
At the, on the other hand, we see Jesus. He established his kingdom, heavenly kingdom, through different approach, completely different. So we see that um, he used a divine um, mission. He also um, used teachings, miracles. He was uh, humbled. He, he even uh, was crucified for our benefit. He was also attacked during his ministry and his positions, but he never, we see that he, Jesus was never um, insecure or he never rebelled against it. He used love and forgiveness as an approach towards uh, those who uh, attacked him. So I think that's uh, the difference that I see as I read those um, questions. Mm. Should I move further or maybe? No, that's great. So you're kind of really given a great picture on sort of how Solomon is a very different character to Jesus. That's great. Anyone else want to jump in with any thoughts of that first question? Thank you, Fatima. I think Solomon's establishing of the kingdom was very much reliant on externals, uh, power, um, political alliances, uh, gathering around him. It contrasts so strongly with Jesus who established his kingdom by giving himself mm. and uh, becoming the servant of others and never claiming anything for himself personally. Mm. Thank you, John. Jamie? Uh, just in terms of some of the um, similarities, both of them, both Jesus and Solomon, recognised that God had placed them there and had given them authority and position both believed they were fulfilling the mandate or the promise that God had had that there would always be someone from the line of David on the throne. Um, I think one of the difference would be Solomon's kingdom was the borders of Israel, where we see Jesus' kingdom is anyone that yields to his, his leadership, so it's not geographically located. Mm. Cool. Jeremy? It reminds me as well of... Um that passage I think when Jesus is talking to Pontius Pilate and he says my kingdom is not of this world if it was then something like people would be fighting for it I can't remember the exact quote um, but just that reminder that his kingdom isn't of this world it's it's of a different world um, and it, it it's about a kind of spiritual victory um, not a physical one and therefore it doesn't involve the kind of fighting and the conquest that, that Solomon's reign did um, and David's reign did mm. cool okay so let's move on to chapter 3 so the first question in regards to chapter 3 uh, and just a quick recap so chapter 3 the main thing that we see happening in chapter 3 is Solomon um, being granted wisdom by God amongst other things um, but feel free to read over that but the next few questions will be in relation to chapter 3 so the first question I wonder how coming boldly before the throne is different to just coming before the throne is it about never being put off by our own weaknesses or disqualification so this is in reference to one of Lydia's points in the teaching on this chapter Anyone got any thoughts to share on that? So what's the difference between coming boldly to the throne and just coming to the throne? Fatima? I think to me, when I read the question, um, we can base that in Hebrew, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, 16, and I think it's clearly explained. Um, coming boldly is different from just coming because when you go boldly before Jesus 
or God, however you want to say it, you go with confidence knowing that he loves you despite of your uh, imperfection. Also, you go there boldly uh, in courage, knowing that you don't have to be afraid to go before him, approach him. Another point is uh, assurance. So you're sure that he has uh, forgiven you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So you are accepted, loved, forgiven. Um, so I don't think uh, we can approach God boldly by uh, hiding our imperfection or mistakes or sins. I think it's important that we acknowledge that and recognize that we fall short before him and we need him. Mm. So I think that's what boldly means for me. Mm. Cool. I think coming boldly indicates a readiness of acceptance, uh, not having to overcome obstacles in order to to arrive there. Uh, understanding that there's a there's a king with arms open, um, very keen to receive us and receive what we have to bring. Mm. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, Jeremy. When I read that that phrase, I I also wonder if there's something about the awe of God in it as well, because I think if I'm not in awe of God and if I'm not aware of His holiness then I don't need to be bold. I can just kind of waltz into his throne room. Um, but it does say come boldly. So I wonder if there's this almost tension that, yes, he loves us. Yes, he's forgiving. Yes, he will accept us. But at the same time, there's a weightiness to it that requires boldness, that requires, you know, uh, an acceptance of of who he is and what he's done. Mm. Um, so that's the challenge that I kind of feel reading that. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about um, coming into an understanding of our our sonship or our, our, uh, that we've been adopted through what Christ has done and I heard the, the analogy of who is it that could wake the president up at three in the morning and ask for, for a drink? Well, it wouldn't be any of his staff, it wouldn't be any of his voters probably wouldn't even be his wife, but his children could. Mm. And so the idea of a child can boldly approach their parent, no matter what their position is, because they are sure of how they're going to be received. And that's how God receives us through what Jesus has done. So I'm not going there based on my own credentials. If I did, I would not boldly approach. But I'm going because I know that Jesus has gone into the room before me and has opened the way and now I'm accepted because God sees Christ in me yeah cool that's really cool that's a really helpful um, picture as well what you just shared cool number two if the exchange between God and Solomon was all a dream how active was Solomon's role in asking for wisdom or was it all God this feels a bit like a riddle this one but I do like this question <laughs> that bit always that bit of the story always just makes me think of like every story I wrote in like primary school where it would just be like I woke up and it was all a dream <laughs> but yeah so um, how active was Solomon's role in asking for wisdom because God's very happy that he asked for wisdom but then we find out it was a dream so what do you guys make of that I think when we when we were looking at it uh, when we were studying we did see David alluding to Solomon about mm. the need to use wisdom and so you could su you could suggest that there was even the thought planted there you're going to need wisdom for what you're going at but mm. I think 
when you look at the amount of interactions that God has with people in the Bible through dreams, it's it's happens a lot. Mm. Now, I wouldn't be so confident on interpreting dreams that I've had and trying to work out what God has been up to in the process. But what um, particularly like the, the guys from the Bible Project highlight in some of their stuff is you see in the biblical imagination that dreams are considered a place of heightened awareness of the spiritual because the consciousness is is kind of out the way and so that you get to see God clearer and actually have a greater communication with God and you see that through Jacob's dream of the ladder and all this kind of thing of suddenly they were taken out and above their circumstances and they saw something more and so I think in the in a biblical context of dreaming is actually about a more pure interaction with God. Mm. I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> cool. Any other thoughts here, Jeremy? I think for me, the fact that it says God was pleased that he asked it suggests that God didn't give him the thought because mm. if he gave him the thought, it'd be weird that he was pleased that he asked it. And mm. um, so for me, that's enough to, to suggest because I believe the word of God is, is true. Mm. Um, but I also find this really interesting because... I think, as you said on Sunday, Nick, when you were teaching on this, uh, this book and the stories that we're reading, often you don't get that window into what God is thinking about things. It, there's a kind of silence on his pleasure or displeasure. It's not an opinion piece. But this is one of those few occasions where actually God is pleased about something, mm. um, which I just found quite interesting reflecting yeah. on it. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah, that's amazing. I just wanted to add, I think Jamie already mentioned about um, spiritual spiritual connection uh, we know that we are spiritual being and just because our body is asleep our spirit i believe is alert so um i believe that solomon had a role to play in the dream not because god didn't already know his thoughts and his desires but we know that god wants to chat with us to have a conversation with us so i believe god wanted him to confess even through dreams what he really wanted and uh, and that's what he did I'm saying that because God speaks to me in dreams as well. Mm. And I choose to believe that when he speaks to me is true when I'm cooperating and I'm interacting with him um, because he wants me uh, to communicate that way with him. So, mm. Yeah. Cool. Okay, next question. Is God's wisdom always very different from worldly wisdom? And I believe this, is, this was uh, in response to uh, the point that Lydia was making when Solomon, how Solomon displays his wisdom with the situation with the the women and the baby um, and looking on the face of it, the way in which he dealt with it didn't necessarily seem like human wisdom. It almost seemed like he had a, a godly insight into how to deal with that. So is God's wisdom always very different from worldly wisdom? I think the source is different. It's coming from a pure heart. It's not a calculating. It's not looking for um, advantage. There's a purity about it. Does it always run directly contrary to what we would call natural wisdom? Not necessarily, because God can enhance something um, and take it and use it and multiply it. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's absolutely always completely well out of the blue mm -hmm. uh, but it does come from a different base 
Mm. When I was looking at the passage where Solomon asked for wisdom, um, it says, well, in, in my Bible, it said he, he asked for an understanding mind um, rather than the word wisdom. And I kind of looked up the understanding mind word and <clears throat> found out that some people translate it as a hearing mind or a hearing ear. And I wonder whether there's something about godly wisdom. And um, John kind of talked about the source of wisdom. But with worldly wisdom, you tend to think it's about accumulated knowledge or experience. And that's where it comes from. But actually, is there something about godly wisdom being about our ability to hear or willingness to hear and stop and listen to him? Um, which means it's not about our you know, intelligence or the amount of knowledge knowledge we've gained or the experiences we've had but it's about our willingness to stop mm. and be open to what he's saying um yeah could be yeah. an interesting aspect of it yeah that's cool if solomon had great wisdom and discernment gifted from god why do you think he didn't see behind the persuasions of his wives to turn his heart to other gods it's a million dollar question right there dan just thinking off the top of my head i mean we heard about it earlier in the chapter or perhaps in the previous chapter where Solomon had not destroyed the high places. There was still that connection to the idol worship. And I think that although he'd asked God for wisdom and God had answered that wholeheartedly, there was still that conflict. And I think that those things can often draw our eyes away from what God is saying. If, we, if our eyes are drawn to an idol or something that's not of God that we're putting in a higher position and that can often do exactly that draw our eyes away from something that God might want to be highlighting and that, that's just a thought that occurs yeah. to me yeah. I think it indicates that uh, elements, gifts of wisdom are not to be confused with purity of heart we can have wisdom we can have wisdom from God but there still needs to be the purity of heart. Otherwise, the wisdom's good, but there's an awful lot that otherwise can contradict anything that God would want. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about the... Um, you, you can have the gift and not use it, and you can also look for gifting and blessing and misuse it so um the idea of god's gifting and blessing is all part of it would all fit with his purpose to enable us to glorify him to put his attributes on display for us to become more like christ um but there's something in in us that would be tempted to use it for our strength and our mm -hmm. gain so if you think of samson incredibly gifted um individual lacked the character to use that gifting in any way that brought honor to God and I can think well if I was blessed with different different talents or gifts my natural temptation would use that to insulate me from trials and tribulations and difficulties rather than focus on how does it serve the the kingdom and then when you look at what is the thing that develops the character that you need is trials and tribulations. And so I think if you think of the, the movie Bruce Almighty, Bruce is given the power of God 
for a, a, a little while and then God checks up on him and he says, sorry, you've had my power for a few days. Who have you helped with it? He said, well, I, I'm just writing some wrongs in my own life first. And so he had all the gifting and it's straight away used to further his own ends. It wasn't seeking first the kingdom. And I think that's always the temptation with whatever we have. It can become about us, even if it's a God, a God gift. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add as well, just to see the, I think when you see the story of how Solomon drifted from God, you can see that how he gradually drifted from God. I think because he had power and God had used him mighty, probably he kind of had um, self-belief that he's not going to be falling in this trap. So you can see that although he had wisdom, not necessarily he had discernment because he had wisdom to use those marriages as political strategy, but then he he lacked to discern how this is going to affect his relationship with God. Mm. And I think this is a lesson for us as well to be careful not to uh, make compromise in, like to compromise what God has given us and what God is doing with worldly desire because that can easily um, just get in and and without us knowing we can end up like Solomon. Yeah. Okay, cool. How do we discern godly wisdom in others and know when to support them or discern foolishness that may cause them or others harm? The first thing is to see if what they're bringing actually lines up with the Word of God um, because God wouldn't contradict himself. Uh, Then to see something of the fruit of the life, not just the operation of the gift, I think those two things would be important judgments. I will say, I will just add to what John was saying. Um, we can uh, see also through their character, because no matter how much somebody can um, pretend for some time, at long run they will um, show their true character. And uh, having said that, I think we should be careful because even godly people can make mistakes. So mistakes does not define our show our character. But I think what defines the character is how we deal with those mistakes. So, for example, is the person willing to uh, be te- is teachable? Is uh, the person willing to be challenged or to grow into God's uh, word? So I think through those points, I believe we can uh, discern if somebody is really hmm. uh, from God, hmm. God's wisdom or not. Jeremy? Yeah, I, I would just add that uh, I think we can ask God for that that wisdom and discernment as well, kind of like Solomon did, um, that ability to kind of hear or if we're not sure about something or, or chat it through with, with other people as well. Um, but also kind of, I would say sometimes it's about being close to the person or proximity. I think sometimes from a distance, it might seem like someone's being wise, but when you actually draw closer and you know maybe a bit more of their character and, and what's going on, um, it reveals something and it not maybe not in every situation would that be appropriate, but um, it reminds me of that phrase, that I think Jonathan says, close enough to know, love enough to care, and willing to pay the price in terms of are we close enough to really know what's going on for someone and and discern, or are we kind of judging from a distance um, what what's going on? Mm. I, I was thinking a little bit about um, what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five. He's talking about how God is... Um, he's hidden from the wise and the intelligent and he's revealed to children and he gives God praise for, for that and then in 1 Corinthians one twenty, when Paul's talking about where is the philosopher of the age has not God made a fool out of all of them 
and God almost has hidden salvation in the foolishness and unappealing message of the cross. And I remember when um, a story about uh, Billy Graham uh, coming to to Cambridge um, and there was a lot of media saying, oh, this, how, how can this Bible-bashing American evangelical come and speak to the cream of the crop of our intellectual societies and uh, it actually got under Graham's skin and he was trying to actually build much more of a case on stuff and it just was not working and in the final day of the the crusade he just just went back to what he knew just preached the cross and all of these university lecturers were gobsmacked to see the brightest minds responding to this just simple message and and how upset they were but years later some of those people were just moved by the foolishness of the message of the cross and I think we can be surrounded by such popular wisdom within our culture and it seems overwhelming at times that You've got such strong opinions or stats all pointing in one way that it's easy to get caught up with that stuff. But I think the wisdom that God would give us would cause us to pause. And I remember seeing when they're talking about the... There's a lot of comments about what Brexit is going to do and how dreadful the economy is going to be. And it was Norman Tebbit that was in the uh, studio and so they turned to him and said, so our economist has said this is going to be the state of the economy. What do you what do you think? He said, well, if half these guys that are making these predictions were right, they'd be a lot richer than they are today. And so there was just a point of, yes, he's, he's put a very technical or scientific case forward. But has the track record necessarily been able to prove that? And it's just not being intimidated by the information that's brought because I want, I want to find what God's word is in that. And one of the things I often ask is, does this wisdom cause me to see and experience the nature of God? Am I led to love more, to have more hope and confidence in who God is? Or is it pulling me away from who I know the nature of God to be? Mm. Wow. Okay, cool. Final question for tonight. Solomon's request for wisdom was then followed by other blessings. Is this always the case? I think so. <clears throat> because the word teaches that he gives more than we could ask or even think. Um, his heart to give from this heart of love is not limited to the things that we can consider to ask for he gives so much more and I think that yes definitely mm-hmm. just adding to what John is saying um, I was when I was looking at this question I was thinking of Paul in first Corinthians when God gave him a thorn in his flesh and and if you see it in human um, uh, point of view it looks like wow God I didn't ask you for this and he says I asked three times for him to remove it and he did not but then we see that even through this God was blessing Paul so that was a blessing in God's perspective, although in our perspective is not. 
So I think to me that was kind of interesting point to see that you can ask God for something, but actually can answer you uh, contrary, different to what you have asked. But again, it is, it is God's will, so it is good. I think one of the greatest blessings is, um, obviously aside from from salvation, is being used by Him. Something we don't deserve, but He wants to involve us in His plans. And I think if you're asking God for wisdom, or if you're asking Him for any gift. I think often he gives it by giving that opportunity to put it into to practice and to use it. Um, and sometimes you, you can end up wishing you didn't ask for it in the first place. But um, but I definitely think, yeah, there is a, a blessing that follows, but it doesn't always look how we expect. It's not always wealth and money and possessions. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as children of God, we've got to remember that we're no longer restricted to the natural, earthly mm-hmm. wisdom or ways. Uh, we used to use a phrase, you kind of know it and you know it. Um, there is a a working of God's spirit with our spirit that leads us into what's right or what's wrong and insight into things which we wouldn't naturally see, which makes our walk with him even more exciting. Great. And on that note, I think we'll bring this episode to conclusion. So thank you, everybody who's contributed to this episode and thank you to those listening please keep the questions coming um, and we will be back with another episode soon